AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 56 of AFF On Air. It's Saturday the 20th of March 2021, which makes it now a year to the day since Tasmania became the first Australian state to close its border to other states and territories, right as the coronavirus pandemic was starting to take hold all over the world. One year on, and Australia's international borders remain closed for now, but this week, for the first time since March last year, all of Australia's internal state borders are at least open. One year ago on this podcast, I interviewed the manager of quite possibly the unluckiest tourism business in the world. After being open for two days and welcoming just two guests through their doors, Enrique Pereira's hostel in Portugal had to close its doors due to the coronavirus. In this episode, I check back in with Enrique a year later to see how the year's been and we'll find out how Portugal's tourism industry as well has been affected by the pandemic and what life is like now in Europe. Of course, airlines worldwide have also been affected particularly badly by the pandemic. As a result, many airlines have turned to their profitable loyalty programs to generate quick revenue and, of course, that all-important cash flow by selling frequent flyer points throughout the pandemic. Buying frequent flyer points as a hack to getting cheaper business and first-class flights has already been around for years with several different airlines, but there are now so many more airlines doing this than there were a year ago, and the discounts and bonuses have been getting better and better. In this episode, find out what new opportunities this presents for frequent flyers. And later in the episode, we'll also look at some of the upcoming changes to frequent flyer programs that you should be aware of. That's all coming up, but first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And firstly, as I just mentioned, all internal Australian state and territory borders are now open for the first time in a year. At one minute past midnight WA time last Monday morning, Western Australia removed entry restrictions that had applied to people arriving from Victoria. After a year of constantly changing border restrictions and plenty of uncertainty as the borders opened and closed, this was the last remaining state border closure. And since it was removed on Monday, all states have now been open for interstate travel and there are no more declared COVID-19 hotspots in Australia other than a few specific exposure sites such as specific restaurants. Some states do still require travellers to register their travel plans or apply online for a permit before travelling interstate, and you may still be unable to travel interstate if you have been to one of those specific high-risk public exposure sites in the past fortnight, which would mean that you are currently required to self-isolate. But other than that, the fact that all Australian state borders are now open is simply fantastic news, and it's an encouraging sign for the future. Unfortunately, there is still no 100% guarantee that state borders won't close again if there is another outbreak somewhere in the country. While some premiers and chief health officers have recently said that future border closures would be unlikely, particularly after frontline border workers get vaccinated, others have not made such a commitment yet. However, with quarantine border and healthcare workers now being vaccinated against COVID-19, the risk will continue to reduce over time. And that's good because Australian travellers and many businesses, not just airlines, rely on state borders remaining open, and so too does the federal government's upcoming half-price flight scheme. 
Last week, the federal government announced it would subsidise 800,000 half-price domestic interstate flight tickets to specific regional tourism destinations, and it's part of a recent $1.2 billion tourism and aviation recovery support package announced, which will also include paying the wages of some of Qantas and Virgin's international flight crew until those international flights resume. Initially, this package was just to cover flights to 13 specific destinations, including Cairns, the Gold Coast, Whitsundays, Alice Springs, Launceston, Marimbula, Kangaroo Island and Broome. It has since been expanded now to also include Adelaide and Darwin. It's not yet clear exactly how this will work, but we do know that the discounted flights will be made available for sale directly on the airline's websites from the 1st of April. Only interstate routes uh, to or from the listed destinations will be eligible for the subsidy, and airlines will need to have flown on the route for at least the past two years already. The 50% discount will be based on the median average, so the average airfare um, that has been applied in the last little while. Whether this scheme is successful remains to be seen. It has been welcomed, of course, by Qantas and Virgin, but it has attracted some criticism from other circles. For example, tourism businesses in major cities like Sydney and Melbourne are concerned that they'll miss out. And there's also been some criticism that it's a poor use of taxpayer money when all that's really needed to stimulate interstate travel is a guarantee that borders won't close again. And that doesn't cost anything. With the half-price flights to come online soon, and state borders open, at least for now anyway, and Easter holidays coming up, the next month or so is likely to be the busiest for Australia's airlines and airports since the beginning of the pandemic, which is really good news. But there are some concerns that airports are not prepared for such large numbers of passengers in a COVID-safe way. And just my personal observation is that flights in the past few weeks have become a lot more full and airports are getting more and more crowded with every passing week. But some airports are still running at reduced capacity, and many airlines and airports are still operating with reduced staffing levels. Social distancing also seems to have been forgotten at some airports, which is a bit concerning. Fortunately, more airport lounges are now reopening, though. Virgin Australia reopened its Canberra Lounge last Tuesday. This was the last of seven lounges in Virgin's domestic network that it has planned to reopen. Although Virgin is still just using its smaller temporary lounge space in Melbourne, which happens to be where the old club lounge used to be. This arrangement will remain for a few more months while Virgin completes maintenance on its regular lounge. Virgin is also introducing its new business class menu and economy class buy on board retail menu next Thursday, the 25th of March. And it couldn't come sooner. This is going to be a huge improvement over the current offering and just in time for Easter. Virgin's premium lounge entries in Sydney and Brisbane, meanwhile, remain closed for now, but a Virgin Australia spokesperson told Australian Frequent Flyer that it's working with the airports to reopen these as travel demand returns. Qantas 2 is planning to reopen more domestic airport lounges by Easter. The Qantas clubs in Melbourne, Canberra, Perth and Darwin should all be reopened by the end of this month. Just the Qantas clubs in Port Hedland and Rockhampton will remain closed next month due to construction work at those airports. Meanwhile, current Qantas club members are being given additional three-month extensions on their memberships, bringing the total extension period to 15 months. They've already been given a year worth of extensions. And some complimentary lounge passes are also having their expiry dates automatically pushed back by another three months. Qantas has been awarded the federal government contract to service Norfolk Island from the Australian mainland for at least the next three months, and there's a possibility for the Qantas contract to be extended. 
Qantas will take over regular flights from Sydney and Brisbane to Norfolk Island from Air New Zealand, which has repeatedly had to cancel flights over recent months due to COVID-19-related border issues and crewing um, problems. Qantas has already stepped in twice to operate rescue flights to and from Norfolk Island when this has happened over recent months. Beginning from yesterday, Qantas is operating three weekly flights each from Sydney and Brisbane using Boeing 737-800s. The Qantas fares from Sydney to Norfolk Island start at $412 one way and flights from Brisbane from $390 one way, including checked baggage. But this is also a great opportunity for Qantas frequent flyer members to visit Norfolk Island, which is an overseas territory that's currently allowing quarantine-free travel from the mainland for Australians with an entry pass. Classic flight reward seats are available on some of these flights, with economy class tickets costing 12,000 Qantas points plus $125 in taxes and charges one way. Business class seats are 27,600 Qantas points plus taxes one way. And these flights depart from the international terminal, so there won't be any lounge exits available. Qantas last week also announced three new regional routes to Australia's ski fields, which will operate over winter. Qantas Link will add flights from both Sydney and Brisbane to the Snowy Mountains Airport near Cooma from July, as well as from Brisbane to Albury using Dash 8 Q400s. The Sydney to Cooma route is one of five that Rex threatened to pull out of in retaliation against Qantas adding flights on multiple former Rex monopoly routes to regional destinations um, if the federal government's regional aviation network support funding was not renewed beyond this month. That funding has now been renewed until September, so it's not clear whether Rex will change its mind on this now. But Rex has repeatedly called on the ACCC to take action against Qantas over what Rex has called predatory and anti-competitive behaviour by Qantas in launching new regional routes in direct competition with Rex. But the ACCC has this week rebuked Rex's claims, saying that overall domestic competition appears to be increasing, not decreasing. And the ACCC also noted that its role is to protect competition and not individual competitors such as Rex. The Sydney Morning Herald reported last weekend that the Australian government is working on an ambitious plan to create a travel bubble with Singapore by July. Under the proposal, vaccinated Singaporeans would be allowed to travel to Australia and vice versa without needing to get a special exemption. Singapore could also serve as a vaccination hub for returning Australians from overseas from other countries. The news has attracted, of course, lots of attention, but as with any of the travel bubbles that have been proposed so far, it is still only a proposal. It's not, it's not concrete yet, and it's, still, it's definitely too early to be booking holidays to Singapore just yet. A data breach at CETA, a global IT company, has prompted dozens of airlines and frequent flyer programs to contact their members advising them to change their passwords as a precaution. Singapore Airlines, United Airlines, Lufthansa, Air New Zealand, Cathay Pacific, Malaysia Airlines, Finnair, and many others are among the list of airlines affected by this. It's believed hackers may have been able to access information on passengers' names, frequent flyer numbers, and elite status tier levels, although there's no indication that passwords or other confidential information was obtained. Eleven months after ANZ suspended points transfers to Velocity Frequent Flyer, ANZ Rewards members still cannot transfer their points to Virgin's Frequent Flyer program. But this should soon be restored. ANZ told Australian Frequent Flyer last week that it's currently in negotiations with Virgin to have this feature restored, and that it hopes to reach a successful outcome in the not-too-distant future. I do wonder what they're negotiating over, but at least it does look like some progress is being made now. 
HSBC Rewards Plus is the only other Australian loyalty program that's still suspending transfers to Velocity, whose parent company Virgin Australia exited voluntary administration last November. Velocity frequent flyers can now redeem points on all Virgin Australia domestic routes except for flights between Perth, Christmas Island and the Cocos Keeling Islands. Velocity points can also now be redeemed for Virgin Australia domestic flight upgrades, hotel and car hire bookings, wine, merchandise and gift cards from the Velocity Rewards Store. But Virgin's Velocity frequent flyer redemptions for international flights, as well as flights on any of Virgin's partner airlines and transfers to the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program, do remain unavailable for now. And finally, Velocity Frequent Flyer has extended its Discover Gold status match offer announced last December. Anyone who took advantage of this offer now has been given an extra two months of Discover Gold status, which also means they have an extra two months to earn the required 80 status credits and take at least one Virgin flight to extend their Velocity Gold status for an extra year. Existing Velocity Gold and Platinum members with a membership expiring sometime in 2021 can also now more easily receive a complimentary status extension until March 2022. Previously eligible Velocity Gold or Platinum members would have needed to take at least one Virgin Australia flight between the 7th of December 2020 and the 28th of March 2021 in order to have their status extended. Now, the requirement is simply to book any eligible Virgin flight by the 28th of March. You don't actually have to fly by the 28th of March anymore. And that's just over a week away, so if this affects you, you might want to get onto that. The other status rewards offers for existing Gold and Platinum members, including 5,000 bonus velocity points for taking at least two Virgin flights, has also been extended by two months. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Last year, the Qantas Frequent Flyer program made a higher profit than Qantas's domestic, international, freight and low-cost airline businesses combined. With so many airlines losing money during the pandemic, processing millions of dollars worth of refunds and desperate for cash flow to survive, many have turned now to their profitable loyalty programs to generate much-needed revenue in the short term. The main way that frequent flyer programs make money is by selling points to third parties such as banks, hotels, retailers and of course other airlines. But many airlines have recently realised that they can also make extra money quickly by selling their points or miles directly to members. This generates immediate income for the airline, but since not all, all members will redeem their points immediately, this is, there is no immediate cost to the airline. And even if they do redeem their points straight away, redemptions generally have a built-in margin, so the airline should still be making a profit overall. Now, some airlines have already been selling their points or miles directly to the public for years. In fact, we've covered this extensively on Australian Frequent Flyer and over at Frequent Flyer Solutions, our partner website. Buying miles from frequent flyer programs like American Airlines Advantage, Alaskan Mileage Plan, Avianca Life Miles, British Airways Executive Club, or Etihad Guest has long been a lucrative way to score cheap business and first-class flights. The idea being that by buying miles while they're on sale, while there's a discount or bonus available, for example, and then redeeming them for a redemption that's particularly good value, the cost of the miles and taxes you've paid for that redemption can be much lower than the retail value of the ticket that you've redeemed for. So, for example, Etihad Airways sells its miles for $20 US per thousand. 
for that's full price, and that's around 26 Australian dollars per thousand at the current exchange rate. Virgin Australia is one of Etihad's many partner airlines, and it costs 13,800 Etihad guest miles and around $30 in taxes to book a Virgin Australia business class reward flight from Sydney to Cairns, for example. Even if you're paying full price for those miles, it would still cost you less than $400 Australian to buy the necessary Etihad guest miles and pay the taxes for that Sydney to Cairns business class flight. Now, that's considerably less than the normal ticket price when buying a cash business class airfare. When the pandemic started, many airlines that already sold miles started putting out really good bonuses and discounts, some that were record, uh, record levels of discounts, to entice members to buy more. At one point in June last year, for example, Etihad was giving away up to 60% bonus miles on purchases. Previously, the top bonus had been around 20%. And with a 60% bonus, that business class flight with Virgin from Sydney to Cairns would only cost around $260, including the taxes. Even Qantas Frequent Flyer and Velocity Frequent Flyer ran promos last year encouraging people to buy more points from them. In October last year, Velocity was even offering 100% bonus points, which is a record high for, for Velocity. The other trend we saw last year throughout the pandemic, actually, was that more and more airlines that never previously sold points directly to the public, or did previously but never promoted it, started to do that. Air Canada Aeroplan, for example, began selling Aeroplan points in May 2020. But we also started seeing promos from airlines like TAP Air Portugal, Emirates, Virgin Atlantic, Hawaiian Airlines, Garuda Indonesia, Finnair, Sri Lankan Airlines, and even Saudia, the national carrier of Saudi Arabia, which is part of the SkyTeam Alliance. And by the way, pretty much every hotel loyalty program has gotten in on the action as well. This has created some great new opportunities. Keep in mind that most of these airlines are in an alliance or have lots of other partner airlines, and if you have miles with any of these airlines, you can redeem those miles to book flights on those partner airlines. So for example, you can redeem Virgin Atlantic miles to book Virgin Australia flights, or you can use Finnair miles or Emirates Skywards miles to book Qantas flights. Now Air Canada though is a particularly interesting one. Air Canada is part of Star Alliance, so you can redeem those aeroplan points to book flights on any of the other Star Alliance carriers, and that includes airlines like Air New Zealand, United, Singapore Airlines, Thai Airways, All Nippon Airways in Japan, Turkish Airlines, Air India, Air China, and Lufthansa. But Air Canada also partners with Etihad Airways and various other non-aligned airlines, and since January also Virgin Australia. What's more, you can combine flights with any of Air Canada's partner airlines onto a single Aeroplan award ticket. So, for example, you could book a ticket from Perth to Auckland flying with Virgin Australia from Perth to Melbourne and then Air New Zealand from Melbourne to Auckland for a fixed number of Aeroplan points. You could also fly, for example, with uh, Virgin Australia from Hobart to Sydney and then fly with Singapore Airlines from Sydney to Singapore all on the one ticket. With Aeroplan, there's also no fuel surcharges anymore. When redeeming Aeroplan points, which you can do online, you'll just need to pay any taxes, and there is a 39 Canadian dollar partner award booking fee for bookings that contain flights on airlines other than Air Canada. Now keep in mind that's instead of fuel surcharges, so the saving you could actually be saving money compared to using other programs there. And you can also add a stopover to most one-way Aeroplan award bookings for just 5,000 points. Air Canada sells Aeroplan points for 30 Canadian dollars full price, which is around 31 Australian dollars. 
but Air Canada has also been running regular promotions to encourage more people to buy points, as many airlines have been over the last year. Last month, for example, Air Canada was offering 40% bonus points on purchases of at least 2,000 points as a Valentine's Day promotion, but we've also seen bonuses of uh, up to 75% from Air Canada or even higher when they were doing a launch sale. To put this into perspective, it would cost 8,000 aeroplan points to book a Virgin Australia economy class flight on any route of up to 1,000 miles in length, or 12,500 points for any route up to 2,000 miles in economy. It gets particularly lucrative, though, when we start looking at long-haul redemptions in business class, and that's something that's going to be particularly interesting once international travel resumes. If you're interested to learn more about buying and redeeming aeroplan points and other, other new opportunities to buy miles in 2021, you might be interested in attending my upcoming webinar over at Frequent Flyer Solutions. This will take place next Wednesday, the 24th of March at 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Registration is essential, and you can find out more by visiting frequentflyer.com.au or clicking in the link in the episode notes. If you are a premium economy or business class member of Frequent Flyer Solutions, you can register for this and all other webinars at no cost as it's included in your membership. And business class members can also learn more about buying and redeeming points, including aeroplan points and lots of other things in the Frequent Flyer Solutions training, which you have access to as part of your membership. If you're not already an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you're missing out on participating in Australia's largest online discussion forum for frequent flyers. The AFF Community Forum is a goldmine of useful resources on travel, loyalty programs, credit cards and so much more. You can learn and ask questions about frequent flyer points, discover unique travel tips by reading our members' trip reports, or even find a great wine deal. By becoming an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you don't just get to participate in our lively forums. You can also send messages to other AFF members, access exclusive AFF offers and services, and you'll see fewer advertisements when browsing the site. And the best part, joining AFF is 100% free. If you're not already a member, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash register. If you were listening to this podcast a year ago, and specifically to episode 32, you might remember my interview with Enrique Pereira from Draper Startup House in Lisbon, Portugal. On the 12th of March 2020, so that's now just over a year ago, I was a guest at Enrique's Hostel in Lisbon right as the coronavirus pandemic just started to take over the world and shut down international travel. I had arrived at this hostel just two days earlier, and... Uh, on, and this just happened to be the hostel's grand opening day. I was the second guest to arrive, and then two days later on the 12th of March, when we recorded that interview, the hostel was forced to close. I was the second and last guest at the time. Shortly afterwards, Portugal then went into lockdown, and I came back to Australia as the borders closed. Now, at the time, Enrique and the team at Draper Startup House had no idea whether the hostel would ever be able to reopen. And I, I think I recall in that interview, we were talking about whether things were going to improve in one, two or four months. I mean, well, now it's been 12 months and still things are not completely back to normal. But what happened next? Well, a year on, I'm joined now on the AFF On Air podcast once again today by Enrique Pereira, who is now the general manager at Draper Startup House in Lisbon. Welcome back, Enrique. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you so much for the for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here with you, not here because we are uh, across the 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 globe. You are in Australia and I'm in Portugal. Yeah, but it's a real pleasure to talk with you one year later. 
yeah and which much more insights about all the whole situation <laughs> much more than we were when we were talking one year ago yeah Ab- absolutely and i mean last time we were sitting in the same room this time there's an 11 hour time difference between <laughs> between us but it's still it's it's a pleasure to have you back on so i guess thank you in in as simple terms as possible what happened over the last year since we recorded that last interview so it's been it's been a bumpy road. Uh, so we were together in March 2020. Uh, Matthew, as Matthew said, it was our first guest uh, in DSH. Um, so in March 2020, the situation was unclear, right? Uh, we were we knew that something was happening in China. We knew that it was coming to Europe. Uh, when we were at the hostel, um, our first case in Portugal was in the second of March. So on the 10th of March, as Matthew was saying, we had to close. And since then, the, the road was bumpy because it was ups and downs. Um, just after March, we went to our first lockdown. And for me, and I think for, for the majority of the population, it was the first lockdown that I had to, that I had to do. Uh, we had to close the hostel. So since from March to June, we closed the hostel. It was during the, um, the lockdown, basically, it was a severe lockdown uh, in our house for 24 hours. You just could leave for groceries or a hygienic walk. So that time we were kind of thinking what would happen to the hostel. Of course, we, we just launched and now we had to close. Zero guests, zero revenue. Um, but just before the summer, situation got got calmer. So the numbers started to decrease again. The hostel opened again. We started to have guests again. Uh, of course, we changed a little bit the business model more towards long stays, more towards the Portuguese market as well, because a lot of people are, were not traveling or to Portugal or to any other place in the world. Um, so we we started to have one guest, two guests, three guests. And that summer, we, I don't know, we got our, our, our hopes up again uh, because we were seeing that the hostel was working well um because that was the thing we didn't test the hostel that well because we had matthew we had we had also team that was another entrepreneur but um we couldn't test the hostel as we as we wanted to basically so the guests were liking it uh the hostel was was working well uh and the summer was good the summer was good we we were able to get some revenues of course not uh the ones that we were planning in the beginning of the year uh, but the situation looked like it was going to be okay. Um, but of course, after summer, uh, the bad weather started to come. The numbers started to increase again. And and we went to a lockdown um, at the end of the year again. And so these ups and downs, what was good uh, in a way was that from from March onwards or from June, in this case, when we reopened, we understood the the target that we had to to do at the hostel, which was basically digital nomads and remote workers that were living in Portugal and not travelers. Uh, so we we saw that travelers were not the way to go in this year, in 2020. So we locked up some some digital nomads and remote workers that or were in Lisbon for, I don't know, a couple of years and wanted to stay more or that were moving to Lisbon uh, before the pandemic happened. And now they had to stay uh, in Lisbon. So we we got some six, seven, eight long stays with us. What was um, what was the thing that gave us the revenue to 
to to keep paying the wages of the workers, of course, and also uh, keep the hostel alive. And it was it was actually a good environment at the hostel because these were like-minded people with the same interests, with the same values. So it was it was a different year, but I don't know. I can say that after all, it was good. Uh, but for sure, uh, bumpy road. <laughs> yeah, but a bumpy road is for sure. And so you've yeah obviously had to change your business model. But it's yeah you have been able to get guests and you have been able to open and at least yeah have some revenue coming in, which is really great. Uh, one of the things that we talked about in the interview last year was uh, you were concerned about whether the hostel was going to break even. Uh, you said last year that you were hoping to have broken even over last summer. I, I guess that's probably yeah. not happened. But are you at that point now? Do you know? No. So since we since we opened in March 2020, we were not able to reach the break even uh, in any given month because, of course, I'm gonna the long stays and the long stays are 80% of our business model right now. But the thing is, here in Portugal, the the market for rooms and apartments it's really competitive, mm. and the fact that in 2020 this was also a trend. All the hotels or co-living spaces or guest houses started to do the same thing as us. So basically, they had rooms. They saw that the short-stay travelers were not coming. So they also did monthly deals for their rooms or suites. Uh, and by every hostel or every hotel or co-living space being doing this, the prices just got more competitive. Uh, so the prices that we are charging for uh, room uh, for a month, it's around 400 euros and 600 euros. Uh, so if we turn that by day, it's around 15 euros. So we are selling a private room for 15 euros a day, uh, even if we have the hostel in 80% or 90% occupancy, um, is not enough to do the break even. So right now, our mentality, and we knew this uh, from from the get go. We knew this from March onwards that our mentality is was. Uh, let's try to spend the less money possible and try to lose the less amount possible. Uh, so we never reach the break even. But if we get a month and we and we got two or three months like that, where we are, for example, one thousand euros from the break even, that's a good result. That's positive because right now we know that this wasn't a typical year. We know that this was the worst year that we could have, Absolutely. and for the first year, that's that's awful. But we know that um, the goal is to not use all of our savings because we know in 2021 and of course more in 2022 things are picking up again and we just need to to save up the the last year and try to surpass the last year yeah but answering in a short answer no we didn't reach the break even in in any given month yeah but you're still in business i understand you currently have uh, nine guests staying with you and the outlook for the upcoming european summer is looking pretty good Exactly, exactly. So that was a blessing. Uh, in June, I think it was in June 2020, uh, we got three long-stay guests that are still with us. So mm-hmm. our, our, our dinosaurs in the, in the, <laughs> in the hostel, basically. Uh, those three long guests, it was like, a, I don't know, like an oxygen, an oxygen balloon for us because we were kind of second-guessing the hostel and the 2020 year. Uh, but those three guests were exactly what we needed: some revenue, um, also some happiness to the hostel. They were, they are amazing. Uh, so after those three guests, one more and one more. So we got like six long state guests for the summer, and we started thinking, okay, maybe if we try to make this 
nor a hostel, so to say, and more as a house where people can live for six months and instead of renting a house or going to share an apartment with someone, they are sharing an apartment with nine amazing entrepreneurs or digital nomads. I think we can make it work because we can offer something different. We have not only housekeeping, not only a super fast Wi-Fi, but it's also the events that you, the the community that we that you have inside, and all of the amenities that you cannot find that cannot be replicated in a shared apartment or in a normal hostel. So we did that. Um, we had some long stays in the summer. Of course, there were some short stays as well in the dorms for three, four, five days because a lot of people were not traveling, but you had those ones in Europe that were tra- that were traveling. So we got some short stays as well. Now we actually have uh, nine long stays, uh, nine long stay guests, and we are having um, an average of three short stay guests per week. So someone that comes for one night, two nights or three nights uh, every every one or two weeks. So it's not it's not amazing. It's not what we have pictured, but but I think uh, according with the current situation and our tools at the time, we were successful. We yeah. were successful, and right now, as you were saying, just to complete my answer, um, we were kind of second guessing this summer as well because um, last summer we okay this summer is lost, but uh, it's impossible in two thousand and twenty one. For the summer not to be good again but months were passing covid got worse got better got worse got better and we were actually thinking we cannot survive uh, another summer without the normal tourism and we were thinking that okay uh this this is going to be bad but right now uh, in february when the lockdown in the uk uh mainly the lockdown in the uk was lifted we got like 11 bookings uh, from UK guests for uh, in one day. Uh, we got a lot of bookings from French guests as well. Uh, last week, we did a, basically a, a lifting of the lockdown plan, a phased plan for the restrictions to, to be over. And when, we, when our prime minister talked about that, we got like three or four phone calls from French people actually saying that, I heard something about you guys in May being in the completely normal life. Is this is this true? And we were like, yes, uh, we have a, a phased plan that is going to 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 be in action. Mm-hmm. So I think that's true. And we got a lot of bookings in this last week. So this is a positive indicator that this summer it's not going to be a normal summer, but it's going to be a much a much I don't know much better than the last summer. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously um, not what you had expected when you originally decided to build a hostel in Lisbon. Um, and even if it's not back to profitability, but even then, as you say, like you probably couldn't ask for better. And I think if you, if we were, if we were sitting down a year ago and listening to this now, what, what we're saying now, I think you'd be pretty happy with uh, with what you're saying. I just wanted to ask also, like. Are other businesses in Portugal having a similar experience, like other tourism businesses, hotels, restaurants, things like that? Or what's it what's it been like for other hospitality businesses and tourism businesses? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good question because it kind of differs across sectors and also across types of, in this case, hotels, hostels, or restaurants and bars. So the experience that I have with other hospitality business, and in this case, talking a more about hotels, hostels, and co-living spaces is you had the ones that could adapt. You had the ones that could see that also with remote working, 
the um, the trend was shifting and the industry trend was shifting more towards okay now someone you don't want a hotel for three or four nights where you are always outside or having dinner outside you want some some place for more time where you have a working space maybe in your room uh, fast wi-fi and you can hack and you can work in your stuff while you are in a hotel mm. so you had some hotels that did that and they were successful with long stays when I say successful, is not profitability. It's relative, exactly. But but uh, have enough to to pay their workers, to pay their expenses, and to pay their suppliers, and try to to get over get this year over and reboot for next year. Mm. You had some hotels that closed that were so big. I'm talking about like Hiltons and Pistana, so a big chains of of hotels that, and I completely understand that saw that it's much more it's much better for us to be closed don't pay wages don't pay electricity bills don't pay water bills and let's reopen next summer so mm -hmm. you had a lot of those as well and then you had those that tried to to be open and to keep their business running but they didn't adapt so um they the prices remained the same uh, they didn't change their business offer they kept with the dorm so that was the first thing that we did was to uh, do the dorms a private bedroom so we just took some beds out we took some closets out put a table and instead of having a hostel with a capacity of 35 people we have a hostel with a capacity of 15 people but you know that those 15 are safe those 15 have the distance to do whatever they want and that was the first thing when somebody called us was like i don't want a shared dorm and that's the reality of what we are living like you want something private you want something that you feel safe some hostels couldn't do that. And uh, I talked with some and they were averaging 5% occupancy, 10% occupancy, which is almost nothing. And it, 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 you cannot survive for three or four months with 5% of occupancy. Right. Um, talking now more about the other sectors that were really affected, the restaurants and bars, for example. So clubs, uh, that's we won't talk about that because that's not even a reality right now. No. So they closed in March 2020 and there's no expected date for them to reopen again. So basically there's something called the, the dance license. And the, the dance license is something that the government is not even picking up. So they don't, because with every other thing, they, okay, bars might open this day, this might open this day, but when we are talking about the club with people dancing, they don't even talk about it. <laughs> so that's not even a, a question to approach. But the restaurants, for example. So the restaurants was a major issue here in Portugal because our restaurant sector is enormous, uh, mostly because of tourism. But we, we have a lot of people that depend um, on restaurant business, being those familiar business or bigger business where you are an employee. So at first, that problem in Portugal was the the changing like the constant changing on the rules so uh one day you could be open the other day you could be open but you couldn't uh have more than four people in one table on the other day you you had to be closed at 10 and you only can sell alcohol of for people that are eating so this content shifting in 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 the measures were were putting the the restaurant owners uh math with the government of course and then uh, they had to close for for a long time, and they just uh, they could just do uh, takeaway. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now, in two weeks, I think they can reopen again. So they were severely affected by this. 
Uh, I think in one year they had to be closed in like for six months. I would say something like that. Uh, of course, some of them can adapt to takeaway or to Uber Eats or something like that. But the others, we know that there are certain types of food or certain types of cuisines. That's it's the experience of going to a restaurant that 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 is good. Um, and yeah, I saw a study and we were talking about uh, also with other hospitality workers that after this pandemic ends and when you when you have to pay your rents again to 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 the establishments, like 60 percent of the restaurants in Portugal will close because they were one year without doing any revenue. And uh, basically throughout this one year, you didn't have to pay rent or 100 percent of the rent of your restaurant because of some initiatives that the government took uh, for you to be alive. But you will have to pay them in the future. So how will you? without one year without with one year without revenue so it's still uncertain because right now you are dealing with the health problem and not with the economical problem we are you are focused on the health and that's the way it should be but um i think after this summer a lot of things will close and it will we will depend a lot on the european help in terms of money Wow, I mean, sixty percent of restaurants—it's just staggering, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's really sad. But um, you, you're yeah. talking about the the I guess the staged plan to come out of. I guess you're still in the lockdown now. What's it like at the moment, just on the street? Uh, what what are the rules? Like, what, are you allowed to go to the yeah. you know, shopping and things like that? And uh, yeah, like, what's what's it like at the moment in Portugal? Yeah, so Portugal is—I don't know—it's a peculiar country because. You are in the same lockdown that you were three weeks ago, but the streets are completely different. So three weeks ago, the rules were exactly the same, um, but the cases and the hospitals were were in rupture. So it was it was tough. It was in the news. The concern was real, and it's still real. But basically, the rules are the same. But right now, if you go outside and you are not a Portuguese, you would say this is normal life. Because the only things that you can do outside is to go grocery shopping, run, any types of sports. But it has to be individual sports. So you cannot play soccer, but you can run uh, along the river, for example. Uh, and you can walk your dog. These are the three things that, that you can do. But the true fact is that if I step outside of my house right now and I go outside, there are 30 people in my street. Of course, if a police approaches them, they can say, I'm going to the supermarket. I'm doing an hygienic walk. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to work. Uh, that you have to have a license, but nobody asks for the permit or something like that. So I would say Portuguese people really uh, do their actions when they see danger. So when the situation was 15,000 cases a day, the UCI was completely in rupture. The hospitals were with a queue line of three hours, four hours. People, okay, I should stay home now. But right now that the situation is getting better, okay, the sun is out actually, so everybody's outside. The rules itself, so we are in a lockdown, but we are uh, planning um, stages where the restrictions just go down uh, every stage. So it's 15 in 15 days, something new will reopen. So right now, yesterday, we are in the first phase. Yesterday was the hairdressers and um, you could go to coffee shops and take things out. So right now we are in that phase of getting the, the rules looser and looser. But uh, as we speak right now, uh, so uh, 18th of March, uh, normal life is going on outside. 
Okay. Are people wearing masks generally outside? Yes. Yeah. So um, I would say if you are doing any sports, no. And if you are alongside the river or at the beach, no. But if you are in the crowded streets, so in, in downtown Lisbon, if you are uh, in the street near a subway or something like that, yes, everybody's wearing a mask. And if you are not, you will get some, you will get some rage by the people. So <laughs> you will have to put it. Okay, yeah. Are people allowed to travel to to or from Portugal at the moment? I mean, like with Australia, um, anyone who's listening to this uh, from Australia will probably be well aware that Australians are not allowed to leave at the moment. And there's also very tough restrictions on people entering Australia yeah. right now. Uh, are there any such travel restrictions in Portugal? No. So Portugal doesn't do travel restrictions. We have to be careful about the other countries. So, for example, I was planning a trip to Germany for for working purposes. And it's not that Portugal don't allow me to leave it's germany that does not allow me to enter right. uh, so it's more on the other countries as well we never we have some countries that are in a, in our red list um like for example it's really hard for someone to brazil from brazil to come to portugal mm. but f- in, in inside europe we we the uk was a case as well but other than that we are one of the chillest countries to to travel uh, inside and outside of Portugal. So actually, um, I was talking with you enough as well that we don't, for a long time, we didn't perform tests when somebody was entering the country. So we had a lot of guests that just arrived to the host and say, man, your country is crazy. I just came by airplane and they didn't check my temperature and they didn't ask for the PCR test. So it, it, I, I, I'm not surprised that you have a lot of cases in Portugal. And I say, yeah, that's that's normal. It's also a political issue because we rely a lot on tourism. So we also want to be to make this this journey to come to Portugal frictionless. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, really, really interesting, uh, Henrique. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast <laughs> and uh, and sharing the story about what happened with the with the hostel that had to close after two days with two guests. I'm so glad that you're able to reopen and that there's some sort of glimmer of hope for you know the summer and for for the coming years. Yeah, all the best. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure to be here. A lot of things to talk. Uh, about but yeah I'm, I'm feeling good about the future and I think the hostel will survive and uh, will be profitable let's let's see but yeah thank you Matthew fingers crossed for you Before I go this fortnight, I just wanted to draw your attention to some of the changes that will be happening at quite a few different frequent flyer and loyalty programs at the end of this month. The end of March happens to be the end of the IATA northern winter season, so there are often changes with airlines around this time of year, and this year is no exception. On the 31st of March, first of all, Alaska Airlines will be joining the One World Alliance. This will have quite significant and positive implications, I might add, for Qantas frequent flyer members once borders reopen. For example, you'll be able to earn Qantas status credits as well as points on Alaska Airlines flights. And even though Alaska Airlines is already a Qantas partner, once they become a part of One World, you'll also be able to include Alaska Airlines flights as part of a Qantas uh, One World Classic Flight Reward Booking, which is um, also known as the Round the World Booking. From the same date, however, you'll no longer be able to redeem Alaska Airlines miles for Emirates First Class flights. Emirates and Alaska Airlines are, of course, partners. 
but Emirates is removing access to first class awards for Alaska Airlines members from that date. And also, it's this is going to affect a number of other partner airlines, um, which are partners with Emirates. Although, thankfully, Qantas is not one of those. You will still be able to redeem Qantas points for Emirates first class flights going forward. From the 30th of March, Cathay Pacific um, and their Asia Miles program will remove tailored awards and choice awards, replacing them with a Miles Plus cash redemption option, which is quite similar to Qantas's Points Plus Pay. You will be able to earn Miles and Club points on Cathay Pacific award tickets booked using Miles Plus Cash, and seats on every Cathay flight will be available using this method, but you can probably expect the number of miles required to skyrocket. I don't think it's going to be very good value. Thankfully, though, the regular standard awards will be staying, although the availability of those is limited. The 31st of March is also the last day for American Express Platinum and Centurion card holders to claim their complimentary Shangri-La Golden Circle Jade status. Now, Shangri-La status comes with a fast track to Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer Elite status, so that could be of interest to some of you. And Malaysia Airlines will be making changes to its Enrich Frequent Flyer program from the 1st of April, including major changes to the way points and status are earned from flights. Malaysia Airlines has described these changes as enhancements, although I don't think they're really positive changes at all for Enrich members. Malaysia Airlines had been a good program in times past, and it is still an option to transfer your points from most Australian or a lot of Australian credit cards to Malaysia Airlines Enrich. But after successive devaluations of that program over the past few years, I would probably no longer consider using it. Well, on that note, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Enrique Pereira, and thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.